Welcome this morning as you join with us at Calvary Chapel, Valdosta. Pastor Deshaun Van Clee will resume delivering the word from the book of Hebrews. Let us focus in to what the Lord has to show us. We have made tremendous progress throughout the book of Hebrews. And finding ourselves now in chapter 12, uh, we have been concentrating on the priorities of the saint. As we have spent the bulk of our time in Hebrews speaking about the superiority of the Savior, now the priorities of the saint in Hebrews 12 is a very great chapter in that it comes right on the heels of Hebrews 11 and that great chapter of encouraging us about faith and all those that went before us. But now what do we do with that? And what does God expect us to do with that? And so we don't want to miss uh, these these uh, words this morning. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read in Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read down to verse 17 uh, this morning as we give honor to God's word. It says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, uh, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so does easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint. In your minds, you have not yet resisted to blood, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to children. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is whom the father does not chasten? But if you be without chastisement, of which all are partakers, then you are bastards or illegitimate, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days ch chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness." Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised by it. Therefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Lord, thank you for 
the book of Hebrews and the opportunity to study your word today, Lord, without distraction, without hindrance from government, officials, or anybody saying that we can't do this. Thank you for the freedom to do this. And so we desire to, to look into the perfect law of liberty, and we desire, Lord, to take uh, precious truths and principles and promises and apply them to our lives, Lord. We want uh, to be godly. We want to walk uprightly and in a way that will bring honor uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us, Lord, to see uh, the truth that you want for us this morning and help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word, Lord. That's what you're looking for, the fruit. That's what we want emanating out of our lives. So we ask that you would hear our requests, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In 1952, a woman by the name of Florence Chadwick attempted a swim across the Catalina Channel. There is an island off the coast of California, Southern California, called the Santa Catalina Island. And there's a channel that, that uh, stretches in between, I believe it's about 26 miles uh, from the coast of California to the island. Uh, this woman, Florence Chadwick, attempted to swim across this channel. Now, she was no stranger to endurance swimming, for she had already crossed the English Channel twice by this time. And so she was able uh, to swim long distances in open water. So here, the Catalina Channel shouldn't be a hard feat for her. This was something that she was already accustomed to. Yet she jumped in the water and began her swim. On that day, that morning, um, the history tells us that the water was very, very cold uh, that day. In fact, all of the Pacific Ocean seems to be very cold. If you had an opportunity to swim in the Atlantic as well as the Pacific, you would know, notice a, a stark contrast in temperature change. And so she jumped in the channel and began swimming. They had little small boats all around her to protect her from sharks or anything like that. And, and in fact, there were sharks that were trailing her at different times and they had to shoo them away. But uh, she, as, as she was swimming, uh, she, she came across a, a couple difficulties in her journey, in her endurance swim. In fact, 15 hours into the swim, she began to experience a cloudy vision. In fact, a, a, a fog began to set in the area that she was swimming, a thick fog, so she couldn't even see the shoreline of the island that she was going to swim to. Uh, she couldn't see the shoreline, and, and here she is swimming across the channel. Her vision is cloudy. Uh, she begins to become overwhelmed in her confidence because she becomes exhausted as she's swimming now. So she has no vision, can't see ahead to the coastline. Physically, she's becoming exhausted. The water is frigid, very cold. And so at 15 hours, she calls it quits. 
She gets on the boat. They help her out of the water. And as she lays there, she happens to sit up and glance. And she realizes that she was right next to the coast. And she couldn't go further. She couldn't finish the race. Because of the circumstances, because of the situations that were all around her, pressing in upon her. Well, she bowed out of that one, but she came back to complete that, that swim twice and passed it with no problem. In fact, the second time she went and did the swim, she said what she did in order to keep her focused in this swim was she kept a mental focus and picture on the coastline so that she, no matter what the circumstances were, the fog setting back in or her getting tired, she kept it in her mind where that coastline was and she was able to successfully swim that channel. I say that because as we arrive here at Hebrews chapter 12, we get into a section that's really speaking to the believers about finishing their race. You had the Hebrew Christians here that this letter was written to. In the first century world, in the first century Rome, I would say Roman world because Rome is in charge. And things were becoming a little difficult for the Christians to endure. It wasn't easy. People were against followers of Jesus. They began to suspect them of sabotaging the, the Roman Empire. And so there was uh, persecutions and suspicions now pressing in on these Christians. Just like with Miss Chadwick, there was outside influences pressing in. And so the writer is trying to encourage the Christians at this point to not give up when they, write, when they might be right there at the finish line. And so he even gives uh, some clear, practical ways of being able to endure this race that they were called to. And I think that these practical ways are, are good for the day that we live in as well. Because we do live in a trying time. We live in a time in which there's a lot of pressure to renounce the Lord Jesus Christ. Because everybody's not for it. It's not, it's, 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 you know, it's not with the times right now. And this book is old. It's antiquated. It, it doesn't fit the times. That's what they say. And we as Christians would be very tempted to abandon this truth. And say, there's no need to even... I should just live my life how I want to live it. I should just do what makes me happy. And so, may we also be stirred up this morning to not abandon what God has called us to, but finish the race. In fact, that's the title of our message this morning, finish, Finishing the Race. Finishing the Race deals with three things that we will see in verses 1 through 17. It deals with concentration, it deals with cultivation, and it deals with a circumspection, which is walking carefully. 
the concentration of the saint, the cultivation of the saint, and the circumspection of the saint, walking carefully. Look at verse 1 with me as we keep this theme in our minds of finishing the race. It says in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. First of all, the cloud of witnesses here are all that we have read here in Hebrews chapter 11, in the previous chapter. All those that went before us in faith, even those that aren't mentioned. It, it seems to be that the way that the scripture is written is that those that have went before us and believed in the Lord Jesus are now standing in an in a, in a theater, if you will, a stadium. And they're watching us finish the race. Now, I'm not entirely certain what happens in heaven and the resolution and clarity that they could see down here on earth. I'm, I'm not quite sure. And the scriptures are not very clear on that either, that those that have passed into heaven now see us here on earth. We don't really read anything like that in the text. However... However, when you think about it, um, they, they are waiting for us. They, they have a clear uh, recollection and a memory of us. And so they're waiting for us. A great cloud of witnesses desiring for us to finish. To finish well. To not give up. They're waiting. A great cloud. So many people have gone before us already. So many people that have been faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they just, they want us. They, they left us uh, the, the precious promises. They left us their work. They left us writings and books and literature and things to encourage us. They want us to finish well. This great cloud of witnesses. And so... In order to do that, the writer here tells us that since we are surrounded by all these people that have gone before us, he says that we must lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. He tells us to lay aside every weight. That word weight can be translated encumbrance. Everything that just will cause a hindrance. Lay it aside. It doesn't say that it's a sinful thing, the weights. It just says it's an encumbrance. That means there are things that could be in our lives that are not beneficial for us completing the race. Lay it aside is what the writer says. Whatever causes you to be tripped up or impedes your proficiency in running and enduring. Lay it aside. Hey, in fact, ancient athletes, in, way, in a way to boost their concentration, what they would do is they would exercise naked. You, you find that word in 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 7, where it tells us to exercise ourselves for godliness. The word exercise in 1 Timothy 4, 7 is the Greek word gymnasio, is where we get our English word gymnasium. But that Greek word gymnasio, exercise in 
1 Timothy 4, 7, it means to exercise nakedly, without clothes. That's how the athlete in the first century, because they had the Olympics back then and stuff, that's how they exercised, that's how they competed. They took all their garments off. It would seem weird to us today, but that was natural for an athlete. Because for an athlete to do that, he wanted to win. He wanted to obtain the prize, and he didn't want anything to stop him. This is how we have to be. The same way an ancient athlete boosts his concentration by stripping himself of every item that can cause a hindrance. We have to do that same exact thing. We have to have that same mindset. This is what the writer says here. To set aside, to lay aside every weight, anything that is an encumbrance in your life. The scriptures tell us that all things are lawful for us. The things that God gives us. But not everything is helpful. Not everything is expedient for us. And so we, as Christians, we tend to really hearken and, and nail ourselves down on the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, this is a freedom. I have a freedom to do this. And, and we hold on to our freedoms. Just as the civil rights era and everybody else held on to this, I have a freedom, I have a right. But listen, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ is not a freedom to do what we want. It's a freedom to do what we should according to his will. That's the freedom that he gives us. It's not a freedom to just live any kind of way and do whatever we want to do. It's a freedom to do what he wants us to do. It's a freedom to be able to do that and make a choice. Because when sin is dominating in our lives, we don't have that choice. We don't have freedom. But whoever is in Christ is free indeed. Freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ is never meant as a restriction. But it's a freedom to do what we should do, what is right. And so we want to lay aside every encumbrance, every weight. You even see the modern athletes today. They go out and especially during the Olympics, as it's coming up, if the Lord tarries next year, the whole Summer Olympics again, and, and they wear these, uh, these, these skin-type bodysuits because they want maximum freedom to be able to run or compete at the highest level. They, they don't go with, you know, baggy shorts and things. They don't do that. They, they want to be efficient as possible. This is what the writer is saying as a Christian. This is what he wants the Christians to understand, is to not have anything that would hinder your race, your run. And so he tells them also, also lay aside, he says, the sin which so does easily beset us. When it says so easily beset us, that can be translated that the sin skillfully surrounds us as to have an advantage over us. He says this is why we have to, we got to lay aside every encumbrance, every weight, anything that's going to slow us down, and then we have to set aside the sin because, listen, the sin, it skillfully surrounds us. It, it puts itself in strategic positions. 
to trip us up, to slow us down, to impede progress. This is what's happening even in the church today. This is why the scriptures are so apropos to today. Because you can see the same thing that they were talking about thousands of years ago in the first century is the same thing that we're dealing with in the 21st century. The same exact thing. They're, the sin is so easily besets us. It skillfully surrounds us to have an advantage over us. We got to set it aside. We have to get focused. We need to become concentrated <clears throat> we need to become concentrated men and women for the Lord where there is nothing that can get in the way and so he says and let us run with patience let us run with endurance the race that is set before us the Greek word here for race is where we get our English word agonize or agony He's saying that let us run with endurance, agonizing in this call that God has called us to. We have to put forth an effort in order to finish, in order to concentrate. The race is before us. The Christian life is a marathon. You may have heard it said before. It is a race, and we got to be concentrated in the race. Because as soon as we lose that concentration, the weight slows us down. And when you slow down, you give up. You just get, you get off of the path altogether. So I'm not going to do it anymore. We don't want any encumbrances. We got to set aside the sin. And notice what he says. This is how we do it. You see, because we can look at this right here and we can say that our concentration is really dependent upon us and just our focus and our mental toughness and that's how some sometimes we look at it oh man i'm mentally tough i can do it see some people can't do it i could jump out of a plane i could sit in icy water because I, it's mind over body man and that's how we t we tend to approach things but it, it really the core of our concentration is not in our capability but the core of our concentration is in Christ and his ability. Notice what he says there in verse 2, looking to Jesus. That's what he says. So you set aside the weights, you set aside the sin, and you look to Jesus. When you're looking to Jesus, you are able to do this. You are able to keep running. You are able to finish. Looking to Jesus, the Greek word there for looking, it actually gives us the sense that you are looking away from other things and looking to Jesus. So it's not a passive looking to Jesus like, yeah, I see, I see him. I'm paying attention to the word. No, it's an active looking to Jesus. You are looking away from other things. You are concentrating. You are gazing upon the Lord. You're looking to the Lord, looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus, what? It says, the author and finisher of our faith, the beginner and the perfecter of our faith, of what he is called. This is who we're looking to. Jesus is the one that started it. Jesus is the one who will finish it. It's not up to us to finish things. 
It's up to the Lord. He'll do it. All he wants us to do is look to him. Keep looking to him. How do we look to the Lord Jesus? We pay attention to his word. He tells us in the book of John, uh, chapter 5, that you search the scriptures and you think that they give you eternal life, but they are the things that point to me. So the scriptures are pointing to the Lord. And so you look to the scriptures and looking to the scriptures is looking to Jesus, concentrating on the word of Jesus, concentrating on the life of Jesus, concentrating on the will of Jesus. What he wants you to do in your life. When we do that, we're able to finish. And he calls him the author and finisher of our faith. So he's going to do it. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Now, what joy was set before him? No doubt it was the joy of us. It was the joy of us here today. Singing, oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? The joy of knowing that he saved you and saved me and rescued us from eternal damnation. The joy of knowing that his beating and his humiliation would be the cause for our elevation. That was joyous to the Lord. That was something that the Lord Jesus was looking forward to. To spending eternity with you and with me. And so he was able to concentrate on what was ahead. And it says that he endured the cross, despising the shame. It was a shameful thing to be hung on that cross like that, the Son of God. But he despised the shame. He didn't even look at it. And it sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because of what was coming. What was coming? This is how we could have the same concentration of the Lord is that we need to look at what could be. This is what the Lord was thinking. He had the joy set before him. He was thinking what could be. And then he looked at what won't be always. The shame. This won't be always. This is something that I have to do so we can get to what will be, which is me sitting down the right hand of the throne and the work being finished. We can also run the race and finish the race by keeping our eyes on the Lord and his example. Always keeping in the forefront what could be. Having that joy as a fuel to keep us going. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 said these similar words to the Ephesians. As he met with them, he knew that it was the last time that they were probably going to see each other. And so in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, the apostle says, But none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear to myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel or to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, I want to finish my course with joy and the ministry that I received. I'm not thinking about the beatings and none of the afflictions that the Holy Spirit was testifying in the previous verse there in Acts chapter 20. 
And the Holy Spirit said that those things were awaiting him. He said, none of these things move me. I am concentrated on finishing my course with joy. We need that in the forefront. It's just thinking about the good things, you know, and our course that we have, thinking about one day we're going to stand with the Lord, thinking about that the Lord Jesus Christ would be lifted on high. See, at one point he was lifted up on a cross for shame, but now I have an opportunity to lift him on high every single day, and that should bring us joy because the Savior is magnified in our lives. This will keep us going. This is a concentration that we have to have. Despising the afflictions and the things that are around us and, and the things that press in on us, not really concentrating on that, but concentrating on what will be. This is where we need to have our focus, our gaze. But guess, listen, guys, a lack of eyes on the Lord is, listen, I'm going to say it, the lack of eyes on the Lord is the cause for many Christians to not finish the race. Something happens when we take our eyes off the Lord. Something occurs in us spiritually. <coughs> Excuse me. Something occurs in us spiritually when we take our eyes off the Lord. In Matthew chapter 14, it tells us that the Lord was walking on the water. And Peter saw him walking on the water. They were all kind of afraid, but, but Peter answered and he said, he said, Lord, if, if it is you, tell me to come to you on the water. That's Matthew 14, 28. <clears throat> and so the Lord said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, see, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, he was afraid. He began to sink. It's, it's when we take our eyes off the Lord that we fail to finish the race that the Lord has set before us. This right here is very important for us as Christians, is to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep ourselves in the love of God. Keep ourselves looking to him. Every single day consulting the scriptures. Every single day, keeping our eyes on it. Because without it, we will inevitably sink. And we don't want to sink and succumb to the pressures all around us. And so the writer continues on in Hebrews chapter 12, in verse 3, as he gets into the cultivation of the saint and us being prepared, disciplined for progress. He says, for consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Consider him. That phrase right there means to estimate. Think about it and value it up, weigh it up. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. We have to consider that the Lord Jesus Christ, the contradiction that he had against the people that were against him, the sinners, and he was against a lot. It seemed like the whole nation was against the Lord and yelling away with him, away with him, crucify him, crucify him. Consider the Lord, even in spite of all of these words and, and all of this opposition, 
he still was able to continue. And so he says, lest you, you got to consider that because we'll become wearied also and we will faint in our minds. I like how the King James puts it, that you will faint in your minds. In other translations, when I say that you'll give up, that you'll lose heart. But here it says that you'll faint in your mind. I like that because that's oftentimes where the battle begins, in the mind. We, we get psyched out. You know, you have been there before. You're very excited, very encouraged about applying some truth to your life and walking with the Lord in this thing. And you're like, you know, I'm going to do this. And this is right. This is what God is calling me to. And then you just get discouraged all of a sudden out of nowhere. Next thing you know, you're thinking, man, I'm, not, I'm nothing. I can't do this. Something, some situation occurs in your life. And now you're, you've been psyched out. That's where the battles oftentimes begin in our minds. That's where Satan tends to send his devices into our minds. And so that's where it starts. And we, we're like, man, I can't do this. No, I'm not. And then he weighs on us and weighs on us and immobilizes us. He says, we got to consider the Lord lest we become wearied and faint. And he says, you have not resisted to blood, striving against sin. You, this is a good verse right here because, you know, when we put in perspective our our struggles and we put in perspective the fights that we're up against and the battles and the warfare i mean we're not really striving against sin at this point uh, the, the believers here weren't uh, crucified and persecuted to the point of being killed just yet and so uh, the, the writer is reminding them that you, you have not strived yet you have not resisted unto blood like the lord has See, the Lord was against all that opposition and they scourged him with the cat of nine tails, ripped his back apart and put the thorns on his head and, and he bled and he was in pain. And he did all of those things and he was striving against sin because when he got on the cross, it says that in the book of Colossians that he nailed all of our sins to the cross. So he took all the sin upon him. So he was striving against sin. He says, you have not done that yet. Keep it in perspective. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as children. That is a key word there. You have forgotten. That seems to be the thing that plagues us uh, as human beings and as Christians in particular, for forgetfulness. We might look at it as being a trivial thing, but it is a serious thing. We tend to forget a lot. We tend to forget the things that are not that important to us. Now, if somebody told you, remember this number, 9456, and I'm going to text you at 2 o'clock, there's going to be a million dollars in that security box. <laughs> let, me, let me just guess. You're not going to forget 9456. You will not forget that number. In fact, everything that you look at, you'll see a 9456 everywhere. I just saw it on the license plate. Oh, the TV commercial. There's a number popping up on my phone. Somebody's calling me 9456. You will remember that number. We tend to forget the things that we don't value as being very important. And so he tells us, he says, have you forgotten the exhortation? 
Have you forgotten this, which speaks to you as to children or sons? He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. This is an excerpt from Proverbs chapter 3, 11 and 12. This was words, these were words that uh, the writer Solomon was sharing with his son in Proverbs chapter 3. He says, my son, don't, don't despise the chastening of the Lord. It was in the same uh, several verses, the previous verses there in Proverbs chapter 3 that he was telling him to uh, trust in the Lord with all of his heart, lean not on his own understanding. Just really encouraging his son to look to the Lord, not look to his ways. And he says, when you look to the Lord, the Lord will prepare you. The Lord brings discipline into your life to cultivate something better in you. And so he says, don't, don't forget the chastening of the Lord. Now, when you look at that word chastening, you know, we tend to just think about all negativity. The chastening of the Lord, when you're rebuked of the Lord the scourging every son. We tend to think, man, this is just rough. This is a harsh relationship here with God. But I want you to understand that the word chastened here is characterized by a cultivation of mind and morals. That's what it's characterized by. It, it really means a correction and instruction, the chastening. So it's not just like, uh, you know, a beating because of something you did wrong. When he says chastening here is a cultivation of mind and morals. In fact, the, the word chastening here is the same word that you will find in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, when the writer writes there to the fathers, telling them to not provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture. It's the same word, the nurture and admonition of the Lord, the nurture. It is the process of increasing virtue, curbing mistakes and passions, cultivating mind and morals, the nurture. So when it says the chastening there, it's the same word you find for nurture in Ephesians 6, 4. And it means to cultivate mind and morals. It's the discipline that God brings about in our life to make us more like him. This is what he says. Don't forget <coughs> the exhortation. That the Lord disciplines everyone that is a son, that is a daughter, that is a child of his. He brings things your way, trials to grow your endurance. He brings hard truth your way to get you in the way so that you'll have his mind, so you care about his things, so that you forsake the passions that will pull you away from him. He brings these things into our lives. One of the things we need a lot of discernment with is when we are dealing with people, is to not always try to get in a way to brace a person's hardship. That might be God trying to influence a little discipline in their life to help cultivate his mind, his morals in their hearts. By you jumping in the way, you're getting in the way of God. You might think you're being compassionate and you're saying, you know, we just need to help the book, but you might be really in the way. You turn around and look and God is just looking at you like, can, can you please move? I'm trying to do something in this person's life. But I can't do it because you're in the way. 
We, have, we need a great measure of discernment to be able to see that. And God does it in our lives. He wants to cultivate something in us. He wants to cultivate some discipline in us. In verse 7, he says, For if you endure chastening, that means that can be translated a training. If you endure the training, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father does not chasten, does not train? That doesn't make sense. You make sure that you train up your son. You make sure that you chasten your child. I remember hearing a guy say a long time ago that, you know, he says it's like this. You know, if you're driving on the highway and you see a bunch of kids throwing a rock or, or on the road or something, and you're driving by a storefront and you see a bunch of kids around and they're throwing a rock into the window, you wouldn't really think anything of it except, like, these kids are just unruly. Like, what is going on? Here? What are their parents? But if you saw your son, oh, you're stopping the car, you're getting out, you're like, let's get over here. In fact, I remember going to the grocery store last night, and there was just a bunch of kids in the parking lot. They were, they were jumping in the, uh, the carts, the shopping carts, and they were riding them and pushing them. And I saw people outside the store just looking like, what is the matter with these kids? And, you know, and as we drove by, I looked, and I was like, these kids are wild. But if that was one of my kids out there, so the car stops, and you know there's going to be trouble. That's, look, that's how the father is. What father doesn't chasten those that he loves? The Lord gives us discipline because he loves us. He says, but if you are without chastisement, of which all are partakers, then you are, the scriptures say, bastards or illegitimate. You are not a real child of God. You're not a son of God. You're not sons. You don't belong to him. So if there's no discipline there's no training from the Lord in your life. And some people will rejoice in that. Yeah, no, I don't get any afflictions. None of that stuff comes my way. Hey, then you need to really determine whether or not you are in the faith. Because this is true for every son. Furthermore, he says in verse 9, We have had fathers of our flesh who have corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall not we much rather be in subjection to the Father's spirits? and live. We listen to our earthly fathers. We do what they ask us to do. Should we not have that much more respect and honor for the Lord working in our lives? What are you trying to do with me, Lord? I just don't understand it. He says, For they verily or surely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Now, I don't want you to read that wrong. It's not after their own pleasure like they're beating them and they're feeling good about beating them. That's not what he's saying about the earthly fathers. He's saying they chastened us when they thought it was good to them. Like, you know what? I think that they understand now. He says, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. When God disciplines us, when God is training us and bringing afflictions in our life, it is because he is trying to bring something out of our lives he wants to build something up in our lives. You see, every lessening of comfort is a lesson to be learned. God is trying to teach us something, show us something, reveal something to us. And if we don't concentrate, we will get very bitter about it. 
or be upset and enraged. God is trying to do these things in our lives because he wants us to be a partaker of himself. This is what the writer is trying to explain to the Hebrew Christians. God wants you to be a partaker of his nature, of his character, of his goodness. And so he has to bring these afflictions into your life. I like how R. Kent Hughes and his son, uh, Carrie Hughes, mentioned in their book, uh, The Discipline of a Godly Man, as well as uh, The Disciplines of a Young Godly Man, they use the same quote. It says, no manliness, no maturity. No discipline, no discipleship. No groans, no growth. No training, no triumph. You see, we, we got to have those things. We, we have to have the discipline in our lives if we, if we want the discipleship. We got to have the groanings. Even though it's hard, we got to have the groanings sometimes so that we can grow. We have to have the trials. So we can triumph that God is doing this thing in my life. That God has done this thing. Every athlete has some measure of groaning and trials. In fact, Usain Bolt, Usain Bolt, he, the reason why he um, gave up his running is because he didn't want the training anymore, he said. He enjoyed the fanfare and people bowing to him as one of the American runners did because, you know, he, he won and... You know, he's like, man, this guy's the fastest man on the planet. And he, I think he enjoyed the accolades. But what he did not enjoy was the regimen. He didn't enjoy the training, the discipline. He said, I, I, did, I don't want to do this anymore. The training is just it's too intense. It, as for this time in my life, I want to do something else. And I don't want to do this, this training anymore. So we have to concentrate to not necessarily be, I understand he's been doing it for a while. But as we're in the Lord, that we don't become exasperated to that point where we're just tired of the things that God is doing and bringing in our lives, and, and we give up, and we abandon it. And so he tells them there that no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. It doesn't, but grievous. He says, nevertheless, afterward it yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to them that are exercised by it. That word exercise could be vigorously a good adjective is vigorously exercised by it. It brings fruit to those that are vigorously exercised by God's discipline. It brings fruit. We want fruit to emanate from our lives. We need fruit to be coming out of our lives. We don't want to grow bitter, but we want to get better. We want to be of a better quality. We don't want to get hardened. We want to be heartfelt. When we have the wrong idea and focus of what God is doing in our life, you know, right now and the situations that he's bringing in our life, we have a choice. We can become bitter about it and upset. And what that does is that causes us to become hard. And so we're not soft and we're not... Um, permeable so that the Holy Spirit can move and use us in different ways. God's training is intended to, to make us better, not bitter. And He wants us to be heartfelt, not hardened. And as we grow in the Lord, we should be more sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. Not resenting what the Lord did in our lives. Paul had went through, I just read to you Acts, he had went through all kinds of stuff, beatings, shipwrecks, 
all kinds of things. And by the time he got there to, to in the Ephesus, when he was meeting with these guys the last time and moving forward to what God wants from him next, I mean, he wasn't resentful. He wasn't like, man, I can't stand it, but God is sending me here and now I've got to do it. He was like, man, I just want to finish my course with the Lord. That's because he had his mind concentrated on God and he understood that God was cultivating something better in his life. Now, what we need to do as we get ready to end up with these last few verses is that we need to, we need the circumspection. We have to walk carefully with these things. Notice he says, therefore lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees. He says, make straight paths for your feet. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. What he's saying here is that you get to the point where you get so discouraged that like sin, it is enough, to, it's enough force to thrust you out of God's way. Discouragement is a serious thing. It could move us out of the will of God. Discouragement. There were plenty of people in the scriptures that were discouraged and found themselves moving outside of the will of God. Jonah. God told him to go and speak to Nineveh. He ran the other way, outside the will of God. He found himself in the fish, drowning with the seaweed wrapped around his neck. Then he made his prayer to the Lord. David. He ran to the Philistine king and began scratching on the door and spitting on his beard like he was crazy. Found himself in the cave of Adullam with everybody that was in distress and debt and discouraged. God told him to come out of the cave and go up to Judah. Place of praise. I don't want you to be there. Discouragement has a way to take us out. Elijah. Jezebel told him that she was going to kill him because of what he did to the prophets of Baal. So what did he do? He ran out of the way. He left his servant in a city and he ran and hid under a tree to go to sleep and ask God to kill him. He got out of the way. We got to be careful. And this is what he tells them is that you got to make straight paths for your feet. This is what he tells us. Make straight paths for your feet. That means to place yourself where temptations are not excessive. This is what you got to do. You got to put yourself in a place where you can't be tempted to, to give up and to discourage, be discouraged. And that verse right there comes from Isaiah chapter 35, verse 3, by the way. And so the writer here is utilizing the scriptures to encourage these believers. And he says in verse 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow peace and holiness. We see here that holiness is a prerequisite to seeing God. Contrary to what people are saying today, purity is not a big deal. It is. It says without their holiness, nobody is going to see the Lord. We got to remember that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, says something very similar. This is the Lord Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse, verse 8. The Lord says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Holiness is a prerequisite to seeing the Lord. 
If we have a lack of holiness, gang, we are in danger of not seeing the Lord with these eyes. We have to be careful. We are living in a very impure world. They tell us it's okay to be impure. It's natural. It's not true. Holiness is required. And he says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and by it many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. And what he's saying here about Esau is that Esau forsook the birthright. And even when he came back saying, my father, please give it to me, he sold his birthright. There was nothing else for him. He's saying, look, if you, if you forsake these things, and you don't walk carefully, circumspectly. You too will be on the outside saying, Lord, please let me in. There's no way. There's nothing else that can help you. You forsook it. Just the way Esau was. He was godless when it says profane. Godless. He was immoral when it says he was a fornicator. Immoral and godless. This characterizes the day that we live in. And many believers are following after that. And many believers will be there saying afterwards, just like he did, please, my father, please give me the inheritance. But it says, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he started carefully with tears. The Lord Jesus says in that day, many will come saying, Lord, 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 we did this in your name. We did that in your name. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. You worker of iniquity. I never knew you. See, you, you weren't following peace, pursuing holiness. You were indulging in all of the immorality all around us. I don't know you. We have to be careful with this. See, let me tell you, this right here with these scriptures, it tells us that a public and personal holiness is extremely important in the life of the believer. The I, I, reason why I say public, because he says, follow peace with all men. When he says, pursue peace with all men, that, the opposite of that is pursuing what you want to do, is selfishness, selfish desires. Also, that's a lack of holiness, being set apart. So a lack of public and personal holiness, listen, it will degrade and destroy. It is destructive in the Christian's life. And it will destroy us in three ways as we close. The first way, if, when we have a lack of holiness in our life, it will cause the Christian to be incomplete. The Christian will become incomplete. It says, lest any man fail of the grace of God. When he says looking diligently, he's speaking of one that's overseeing. And he says, looking diligently, like each of you, lest any of us fail of the grace of God. We come short of it, is what he's saying. When we have a lack of holiness, public and personal holiness in our life, it's destructive in that Christians become incomplete. They're not living up to their full measure and quality that God had for you. Also, it says here, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. It causes Christians to become bitter. When you have you ever seen a bitter Christian? He's just they look like their face has been 
you know, just dipped in lemon juice and they're just always sour about everything. They're, they're pessimistic about everything. Nothing can go right in that Christian's eyes. They're bitter. They just had bad experience. We can become incomplete. We can become uh, bitter. Gang, we ultimately can become unchristian. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. We can become like Esau, unchristian. There are many people that are renouncing being a Christian. They're not a Christian anymore. That, that seems to be a great fad, and people say they're okay with that. That's a dangerous thing. But when we have a lack of public and personal holiness in our lives, this is how our lives can be destroyed. We're incomplete become bitter, ultimately we become unchristian. We're not Christians anymore. We don't want it. We need to be careful. We want to finish the race that is set before us. And the way we do that is with concentration, cultivation, and with a great measure of circumspection is walking carefully with the Lord, avoiding being discouraged and allowing ourselves to be taken out of the race. I've seen Many of the kids, you know, in basketball games get taken out of the game because they're so discouraged about their last shot. And they can't concentrate on the entire game. All they are thinking about is like, man, and they're sitting on the bench and you're like, guy, the game is still good. You can, you can score. I can't see it. That's how we can be. We need a great measure of holiness in our lives. Personal holiness public, practical holiness with other people. These are the things that will keep us progressing and enable us to finish the race. We would like for you to stay in touch and up to date with us. You can reach us by phone at 301-395-3382. You can follow us on Twitter at cc underscore Valdosta. And you can visit our website at ccvaldosta.com weebly.com for additional information about Calvary Chapel Valdosta and an archive of previous sermons to further equip and edify you.